Let's foray into Nevada's wild spaces. This is a half an hour adventure with the Nevada Department of Wildlife. This is Nevada Wild. Here on this Welcome to Nevada Wild, brought to you by the Nevada Department of Wildlife. I'm Ashley Sanchez, here with co-host Aaron Keller. And today we were lucky enough, Jason Williams, he's our wildlife diversity biologist out of Ely. He just happened to be in Reno. And we pulled him into our office and got him in on a podcast. So um, welcome, Jason. And thank you for doing this. So no, thank short you. Notice. Yeah. yeah, we didn't have to twist his arm too hard. No, He's... no. He has so much to talk about because we were trying to find something to talk about. It's bat week. So we wanted to talk something bat related. And it's also Halloween. So we wanted something creepy. And Jason goes on a lot of bat projects in caves. Oh, I thought you were going to say we... So we want something creepy, so we've got We Jason. decided to go. <laughs> but no. you go on a lot of fun projects in caves, often dealing with bats, but not always. So your most recent project you started telling us about, it was last week. Right. And it sounds like it was quite the adventure. Right. So we have an interdisciplinary team um, with the BLM and the Forest Service and Endow and sometimes some other institutions. Um, I'm the biologist, and we have a geologist and a recreation planner and uh, archaeologist and not everybody's present for every cave survey but it just depends on what our questions are for that particular site and so last week um, we ventured to the bottom of the deepest cave in Nevada and so that was over in eastern Nevada it's up at 11,000 plus feet um, there are 100 foot columns of ice in this cave oh year-round so it's um, and we it took about 700 feet of rope, and uh, it, it's it's pretty cool because there's not a lot of places where you have to hike to the area on foot, and then once you get to the cave, then you put your crampons on, and right. You were telling us about it yesterday a little bit, and uh, yeah, it's just crazy. Talk As you about kept creepy. going, it was <laughs> the 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 actual adventure, the 700 feet of rope, and the hike in there, and then all the ice and just underground and it's just intense yeah year round um this cave is usually in the 30s fahrenheit yeah it's crazy um, to think about so you had a team going in and then you what was your purpose on this team so was my purpose as endos rep is to look for um current wildlife use okay so that and, could and be recent bats, past but yeah mostly bats but you know there's a lot of other things that use caves um, not just vertical caves, but, you know, other caves as well. I mean, everything from predators to, you know, mountain lions and bobcats and bears and to uh, marmots and Anything trying to escape the heat. Or bighorn or sheep. Or, yeah. And, yeah, lots of things use caves. Right. And so with this cave, you were just there as part of the group, and then you guys, how does it go? Like you get... Well, that cave's almost completely vertical um so it's, it's a crazy. small group when you get vertical <laughs> yeah. situations you have to have a smaller group because there's it takes a lot of time to work on ropes and and caves in nevada and a lot of caves they're you know it's not one rope that's the length of the cave they're not completely vertical so you you know you might use the first rope to wrap down to rappel down a couple hundred feet 
and then you know walk over 30 or 40 feet to the next rappel and so that's either another rope or um if you have a really long rope you might you would you know create another anchor station so you're constantly getting on and off rope right. um when you're going up and down these sites but at the same time i'm looking for bat use um looking for signs of night roosting like insect wings I'm looking for signs of day roosting, like the presence of bats. Um, right. I'm looking for airflow to see if it might be a good site to return to in the dead of winter to look for hibernation, um, things like that. Yeah. Very cool. And then what did you guys end up coming across when you were in there? Um, that cave, uh, it was being used as both a night roost and a day roost. Um, there's not a lot of other wildlife use in that site just because it's strictly vertical right mm -hmm. you know so there's animals that can't fly aren't really aren't using gonna be in there except for near the portal mm -hmm. you know yeah wood rats and stuff that can always right. climb around so a lot of bats in there then um yeah not a lot but it's you know the, the site is eleven thousand five hundred feet so it's not necessarily as appealing to is that just because it's so cold most yeah. of the time. Yeah, and so it wouldn't be a good site for summer use because during the summer, that's when bats form their maternity colonies. Right. And they're looking for warm sites then. You know, pups are born almost hairless, but uh, yeah. in the summer, the pregnant females and the lactating females are looking for places to raise their pups that are warm. Gotcha. So I'm trying to, like, wrap my head around this cave. I'm trying to picture it. Right, trying to picture it. So you walk in and then. No, you don't walk in. You, <laughs> you, don't you repel in. It's like you a hole, a 700 foot hole in the ground. And this, yeah, yeah this I'm picture it's a hole in the ground. I couldn't tell if you like go into a cave opening and then it drops. Well, picture picture a, a natural fissure, you know, a fracture in the rock that opens right. up, and I mean the whole cave, it was no no wider than five feet. Ugh, um, I couldn't do this. Right, <laughs> you can't be claustrophobic. I am claustrophobic. Yeah. It's a new fear, and it's real. And there's times <laughs> where you have to take your pack off and hang it down, you know, off your harness so that you can get up or down because the cave walls might be, you know, 18 inches wow. you know, apart, and I don't fit much past, <laughs> <laughs> past that. Yeah. So... And the cool part is, what you were telling us yesterday, you're looking for wildlife that could be using this cave and living in it. But you guys were also, because you also had an archaeologist with you, you're looking for things that might have used this cave in the past. Well, not this cave, but other caves in other Nevada. Caves. So okay. a couple months ago, I was in a cave um, with uh, another ecologist and with an archaeologist. And, you know, I was assessing the site for current wildlife use and, and recent wildlife use and um, the archaeologist um, he's looking at uh, you know wildlife use in the last you know 30 anywhere from the last hundred years to the last hundred thousand years um, and it's I used to think going underground with geologists was fascinating and it is but going underground with archaeologists is just mind-blowing um, it's amazing that we can we can do a dig and pick up a bone and and he'll be like yeah this is a blah 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 from a you know peregrine falcon or from a sage grouse or from a bighorn sheep or a short-faced bear or a sloth or yeah and american cheetah and brown bear and i mean all this stuff used to roam 
American Camel. Oh it used gosh. to roam around Nevada. Yeah, all around Nevada. So that's huh. just some of the work. So was that person on this team that went down? No, into the steep not cave? last week. Oh, okay, but that's an but example a, of some of the work. Right, a couple months together. ago, we were in some caves <clears throat> that didn't require ropes. You know, more horizontal-based caves. Um, and he was present then, and, and we were in, and we were in a cave that they did an archaeological dig back in the 90s, and um, they found extinct. American horse, you know, the horse that used to roam around here naturally. Uh, yeah. There was a native horse. Right. And I think those went extinct 35,000 years ago. Wow. Um, and those horse remains were still on the surface of the cave. Um, wow. They weren't even under the floor yet. They weren't covered up with sediment because caves can preserve things really well. Um, once you get past the portal, and you get deeper into the cave, um, the humidity, the temperature, the fact that there's no light, those are constant 24-7, 365, you know, they don't change. And the fact that there's there's really no variation in the climate, um, that's what really preserves things and keeps things from decomposing at a normal rate. Very interesting. I'm going to have to look up some of these animals you talked about. Yeah. Like American cheetah, American what was camel. Some, what were some of the ones that when you came out of there, you had to do a little more research on and you were like, oh, I kind of want to look into that a little bit more. Uh, the there? cheetah and the camel and the uh, sloth and the short-faced bear. Oh, yeah, the short-faced bear was another one. Yeah, but it's just amazing to think that those things used to roam around Nevada and how different was it back then. And okay. we can go into, cave, in, into caves and do... You know, we're working with the archaeologist and helping him. I can go into these sites and we'll do a dig and we'll pull up a bone and I'll, you know, I'll hold a bone in my hand that's, you know, 30,000 years old. It's right. And it's still intact. And We went into a vertical cave um, in Eureka County a couple years ago and we documented bighorn sheep. And bighorn sheep are not currently in that range at all white man drove them out white man over hunted them right um but we documented three of them in there and he could tell by looking at the bones and the hips and stuff um what sex they were he could tell you know one of them he showed me look this femur's broken that's probably from the fall it came down the the vertical cave and fell yeah and those were right radi radiocarbon dated and uh they were I think it was 1850s to 1930s, and that's about when white man pushed them out, you know, overhunted them. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, it's good that things are regulated. Um, yeah. Because otherwise we have the tendency to drive things extinct. Right, yeah, and so the the fact that we're able to radiocarbon date those bones, I mean, puts it puts it right in that range, which is it's pretty cool to think about. Yeah, and that, re you know, that just informs the game managers of, information they need on how to manage those species Historical and how recently and they occupied the area and, and we found him in another cave in that same mountain range um this summer wow and hmm. then so the cave that you guys went into last week did you find any anything out of the ordinary in there or was it just very very no deep? <laughs> that like one's so high elevation <laughs> yeah it sounds like it's a cool experience just rappelling down it itself well, then yeah, going down is a lot easier than coming yeah. up. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty exhausting coming up. But, I bet. Um, and there was another cave that we worked at uh, down in Lincoln County um, maybe two years ago. 
and that had rumored um, to have, I think it was giant sloth remains in it. Um, And we didn't find any of those, but we found marmots. Um, And there was a lot of projectile points and and spears in there. So that site was used, the way that cave is set up, um, it was used to funnel animals into it by driving them into it. And then once they got into that confined area, the Native Americans were um, go way up. using it as yeah. a as a kill site. Right. Uh, it was pretty amazing to you know pick up some of the to to see some of these remains and you know they get collected and radiocarbon dated and they learn so much from them. But um, it's things that unless you had the training to look at to know what they are, you would walk right past them and never know. Um, that's it's crazy. Yeah, that's why it's good to go with an expert, right? Yeah. Go with somebody that knows what they're looking for and. Yeah, there's all these historical, like, like antelope trap sites. Right. Um, there's, I went out with um, the archaeologist one day because I wanted to learn more about what they were doing. It wasn't a cave day. It was, it was a day where he was working with all the district archaeologists, and I just went out to kind of see what was going on for a couple hours. And there's a dirt road that goes right through this historic antelope trap site that I've driven on 100 times. And I never had any clue there was a antelope trap site. But once I was there with the archaeologists and looking around, and and they're pointing out all the different um, features, it kind of just pops out of the landscape, and you see it. And these sites are, you know, they're huge. They're hundreds and hundreds of meters wide and long. And right. And yeah, I've driven through this thing a hundred times and never had a clue. Gosh, well, we're already almost out of time well we are out of time for the first half of the show but we're going to be right back after this quick break you're listening to nevada wild if you enjoy listening to our podcast leave us a review on itunes and soundcloud for more information on hunting fishing, boating, and all things wildlife, go to endow.org. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Nevada Wild. We are talking to Jason Williams, our wildlife diversity biologist out of Ely. And before the break, we were talking about all of your creepy, I guess we could say, um, adventurous moments going into caves. So is that your main work then is going into caves? I know a lot of your work centers around bats. Well, I spend the overwhelming majority of my time working with bats. Um, But in Nevada, there are far more mines than our caves. Nevada has more abandoned mines than all the other 49 states combined, literally. And so we have a big program to work with our federal land management partners to survey these sites um, not only one so we know you know so we understand how bats are using them but two so that we can work with the land managers to help them secure the sites that aren't important to bats well they secure all the sites but um, they'll secure with bat compatible closures the right. sites that are important to wildlife or to bats and then they'll secure by other means more hard closure type means um, sites that aren't important to wildlife and that's an ongoing program we survey usually around 500 mines a year wow so basically you go out to the mines with a team of people and you're just looking for what kind of information are you getting Um, we do internal surveys and we're looking for not only the presence of bats 
um, or the presence of wildlife, but more so sign. Um, you know, we'll find if you're in southern Nevada, we'll find sites that are used by desert tortoise and bighorn sheep and, you know, just to get out of the sun. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're outside of southern Nevada, um, you know, you don't have the tortoise issue anymore. But in all of these sites, I'm I'm looking for use by bats mostly. Um, there's other wildlife that use, um, you know, the portal and the first, you know, 20, 30 feet where it's still a lot of light. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a whole suite of species that use that just to get out of the, the, shade, out of the weather. Yeah. Right. And when you're saying portal, you keep saying that, and it sounds like this really cool term. <laughs> and that's just the entrance of the that's cave. The entrance, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's scientific. Yeah. It's a scientific <laughs> word. Makes me sound smarter. <laughs> it does. Just to clarify. So, how many mine, abandoned mines do you think do they think we have? Or um, oh boy, the last estimate I saw was a just on BLM land um, was a publication from about five years ago, and I think they estimated 235,000. Oh, my god! And that's just BLM land. It doesn't count Forest Service oh land. Oh, my gosh. So yeah. hundreds of thousands. Oh, yeah. And so wow. so it's an endless job. Um, but we go into these sites. Um, if at all possible, we survey the entirety of the mine um, because there's different types of uses wildlife use that can occur based on where you are on the site mm-hmm. and there's all these microclimate differences in different rooms and where the ceilings are higher etc um, of where heat is and heat is not um, that all has to do with like maternity use by bats in the summer um, sites that have a lot of portals that are connected to one another have airflow and right. airflow is is not critical but it's it's very important for hibernation use and like in nevada most of your caves are single opening caves and mm-hmm. if they have more than one portal they're usually not separated by a lot of distance right um whereas these mine complexes you know some of the portals can be a half mile apart from each other and a couple thousand feet in difference in elevation between each other and that um yields a lot of airflow and so airflow is is what these some of the species many of them look for um when these bats are hibernating in the winter interesting yeah so when you go in you're looking for wildlife you mainly find you usually find bats it sounds like or that's a bats, primarily um, unfortunately <coughs> sometimes lions um oh no i mean there's bobcats and lions yeah. and, mm-hmm. and stuff that use them and yeah. So then when you find what you're looking for, what do you, like with the bats, do you sample them or what exactly do you do when you see right. them? Right. So some of the projects we're looking at, um, we look at how different types of bat gate designs um, yeah. affect the bats, whether they like them and don't and how they use them. Um, there's other studies we're doing to look at genetic connectedness among different sites you know how are these animals you know, are they are they moving among the different mountain ranges and breeding and so we can do that with dna um some of the sites we're collecting eDNA, environmental dna so we don't have to sample the bats we can we can take a swab you know a, like a q-tip mm-hmm. uh, sterile of course mm-hmm. and we can swab the guano stains or the urine stains and then we can run that through analysis and we can identify the species without ever seeing or handling them um so that's called eDNA analysis right. interesting 
So it's all huh. dependent on the project that you guys are on and right. what exactly you're looking for for that project. Right. Can mo can multiple species of bats be in one cave? Oh sure. Okay. Yeah. Five six species. Um, there's a cave over in White Pine County that we've worked at for a number of years. Um, it'll have. I mean, we've banded thirty thousand bats in out of that cave and. Well, we've handled, I think, we're up to about 45,000. So we're studying demographics and how they change um, both across years and then within years across, you know, week to week, we'll get different groups of um, um, subgroups like lactating females and pregnant females and bachelor males. They'll come in and, in these waves. And yeah. so we never knew that this occurred until we started trapping there like two or three times a week every night for know four months yeah and then we finally observed those patterns because we were trapping there so much and um with the animals that we've banded we're working with colleagues across the west and the, in the midwest to look at recaptures and so that will give us some information on migration patterns okay wow yeah that's right. pretty interesting the so then in the cave do certain bats you i mean they could use certain portals or certain climates in the cave. Is that, or is it kind of like all bats? If a bat likes it, all bats will like it? No, that's not true. Okay. Um, there's some species that, like, like, for example, during hibernation, during the winter, right. um, Townsend's bigger bats will um, seek out the coldest, windiest yep. areas. You know, areas, when I say windy, the, the coldest areas with the most airflow and therefore wind chill. And... But in the same mine complex, it's other parts of a mine that don't have direct connections to the to the surface and therefore don't have airflow. That's where you'll see different species of myotis. Mm -hmm. um, so for some reason, they like the areas that don't have as much wind chill, whereas the Townsend's bigger bats prefer those areas with so the wind chill. Yeah. And we see all this underground. It, you can be in the same mine complex yeah, and see these it. patterns. Yeah. So you're documenting everything you see along the way. Right, and there's some species that will roost right out in the open. There's other species that will roost way back in the farthest, deepest cracks, and you miss some of them. Yeah. Um, there's some species that will... Um, I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, no. Yeah. I do that all the time. Yeah, don't I, worry. We <laughs> have recorded a many podcasts. Um, is there... This may be a really dumb question since there are so many species in Nevada of bats, but... Um, is there a primary species you come across when you're doing this mine work, or does it just depend what type part of the state you're in or what type of mine or cave you're going into? Um, I would say the most commonly encountered species is uh, Cornorinus townsendii, the Townsend's bigger bat. Okay. Um, depending where in the state you are, you can you can pick up pallid bats quite often. And then there's a lot of secondary roosters, um, species that that don't use the sites exclusively. They might roost in trees also, okay. um, but you'll see them um, singularly or in very, very small groups um, in these sites as well. Hmm. And when you're saying roosting, um, I'm, I'm going to basic level wildlife here. What do you mean when you're saying roosting? Um, you know, when they're not flying, they're hanging up. And if it's a site they're using over and over, it's, you know, like they're, house if you will okay that's their roost okay so it's not just hibernation this is just no um there's day roosting you know where these animals where these bats um hang out and sleep during the day there's night roosting which is 
um, where these animals will, where these bats will, will temporarily hang up to let their food digest or, you know, as they're catching insects, um, you know, they don't eat the wings. They'll rip the wings off and just eat the body because that's where the nutrition is. And so we'll go into these roost sites and we'll see moth wings and that tells us it's used as a night roost. Okay. Um, and then there are patterns of, of fecal deposition, you know, the, it's called guano. Mm-hmm. Um, there's patterns of how that's deposited that you can tell if it's um, just regular like night use or if it's maternity use because when they form maternity colonies they form these these groups um, that are huddled together on the ceiling and so you get all this guano deposited in a in a small area Um, so that's indicative of maternity use so we can go in and survey these sites any time of the year and develop ideas and, and you know realize how they're using the sites throughout the year yeah, we have a cool picture out in the hallway of, it looks like a huddle, right? They're super tight, right. a bunch of bats super tight clustered. together, yeah, clustered together. So that's a maternal mm-hmm. site. Yep. Then. Okay, cool. Very interesting. And then can can bats, if they're utilizing the same area at the same time, do they hybridize? Um, you're Across species? Yeah. I'm sure they do, but it's not very often. It's not very common. Yeah. So it's like waterfowl where like every once in a while you'll see right. something that's a hybrid and it's kind of like a weird. Yeah, most deal, wildlife will do that if they yeah. need to or, or if maybe if the opportunity It's not arises, very common in bats. Yeah, it's not common at all. Have you ever come across a finding that in one of these mines or even the caves that you're just like, wow, I can't believe this and never knew this? Well, one of the things that I've always been interested in um, well, at least for the past decade or so is, um, you know, I said earlier, we see most of our hibernation use in mines, beca- in complex mines because of airflow. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But I've been trying to document it in caves. And what we've found is we need to look at these vertical caves because in a vertical situation, um, cold air will sink to the bottom. And so there are vertical caves in theory that um, could get cold enough and have the right conditions for hibernation. And so last winter, we finally made it up to um, one of the vertical caves in White Pine County. Um, you got to have the snow conditions just right because it's a long trek in there on snow machines and otherwise it just doesn't work. Um, but uh, we finally made it in there and it's a vertical cave, so we had to repel in. And um, we had decent numbers of, of hibernating bats and the temperatures were colder um, than you would see in a in a horizontal cave um, because indeed it was serving as a cold air sink and so that's one of the things I'm trying to look for now is more vertical caves and and not only study their climates year-round but survey them in the winter also wow very cool I could just keep I got so many more questions I know (laughs) I feel like there's a lot of people listening that you have their dream job and then there's other people who are like Heck no. Uh, yeah. I couldn't do that could job. That it's too. a really cool job, though. <laughs> yeah, I, I job. I've known you and known who you are within our agency because dealing with bats and I know I've called you b- for pictures and stuff like that before, but I just never knew 
exactly how adventurous your job was. I feel like you're <laughs> making up excuses to go like back to yeah. old caves and things like, well, now we need to look at them when it's cold out. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, twist my arm. It's now we need to figure out a way to get in there by snow machine. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's hard work, but it's very rewarding. Very cool. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a cool, lot of man. fun. Well, we appreciate you coming in and we pulled you in here kind of last minute. So yeah, we appreciate it. It yeah. is. Yeah. It is. And you gave us such good information. Awesome. So yeah. we're out of time, but that was very interesting. Bat and week. Bat week. Thank you, Jason. And thanks everyone for listening. Sure. Thank you. Join us again next week for our next adventure, Nevada Wild. It's a production of the Nevada Department of Wildlife.